For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Danny Kelly, along with Danny Heifetz and Craig Horlbeck. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Monday, November 27th. We talk a lot on the show about how Netflix won the streaming wars. But if there's a loser among the media companies in this weird era of entertainment, it's probably Paramount Global. That's a little unfair because Paramount has actually grown its streaming business pretty significantly over the past few years. It's now up to 63 million subscribers worldwide. And this is the home of some pretty great media assets. Paramount owns CBS, cable channels like Nickelodeon, BET, MTV, and VH1, plus assets overseas, and the Paramount Movie and TV Studio, which has 100 years worth of franchises. Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Transformers, don't forget Yellowstone, and all the Taylor Sheridan shows. But because it's smaller than its rivals and still loses money on streaming, it relies more on the cable networks, which are slowly dying. Paramount was always kind of destined to be the odd man out as the entertainment business transitions from linear to digital. And it doesn't have theme parks or superheroes to prop it up. Its stock price has fallen off a cliff in recent years. The whole company is worth less than $10 billion these days, plus debt, despite all those great assets. And the feeling on Wall Street and throughout Hollywood is that Sherry Redstone, its owner, who wrested control from her ailing father a few years ago, she'll need to sell the family business pretty soon if she wants to get anything of value for it. But when and to who? Remember, Paramount is publicly traded, but it's closely held, meaning it's controlled by one shareholder, which in this case is a company called National Amusements, which is the Redstone family holding company. And that's important because it doesn't matter how bad the fortunes of Paramount get. One person is the decider here. Though Warren Buffett last year became the biggest individual shareholder and now owns 15% of the company. Sherry can decide not to sell, of course, and by all accounts, she likes the direction it's going under CEO Bob Backish, but the writing's on the wall here. This company probably will be sold or merged in the next few years as the entertainment industry undergoes a wave of consolidation, pullbacks. So today we've got Lucas Sean here, and we're going to attempt to answer the question, who or what will buy Paramount? From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw a little later than normal on Monday because Lucas is in Tokyo. I just know Japan. Yeah. You're in Tokyo. Tokyo. How's yes. that going? Other than the fact that I'm not sleeping past about four in the morning, it's going great. 
Yeah, and you've been posting a lot of photos of gross food on the internet, so I assume Just you're eating your Just because you're uncivilized. Don't, don't <laughs> say it's gross. <laughs> it's gross looking. I'm sure it's very tasty. But uh, all right. Well, thank you for joining us from your trip. And I wanted to talk today about a company you and I both love to talk about. It's sort of perpetually a topic of conversation because nobody knows what the future lies for this company. It's Paramount Global, the Redstone family media company that is sort of like the redheaded bastard stepchild of the big media industry these days. It is the home of CBS, home of the Viacom cable channels, MTV, VH1, brands that people like me used to care about. And now they are just sitting there on the cable dial, milking carriage fees and showing reruns of ridiculousness and waiting for the ultimate day that will come where they will die. And they also own the Paramount Movie Studio, which does have a lot of value and would be the driver, I think, in a potential sale of this company. I want to get into what that sale might look like, whether there, A, is a potential buyer or merger target for all of Paramount Global, or whether we are in a scenario where this company is eventually going to be picked apart for its assets. It's worth about $10 billion if you believe the market. Yet, if you believe anybody who is in the chair in Paramount, they believe this company is worth far more than that if you look at the assets they have. And I tend to agree with that. So I'll start with you just saying like, what would you do if you were Sherry Redstone right now and you were looking at your options and every day you hold on to this company, it becomes less and less valuable. What would you try to do with Paramount Global? In the conventional wisdom is that the company is worth a lot more broken up than on its own because you have assets like Paramount Pictures, as you note, like the the CBS Television Studio, BET. That well, uh, CBS Television Studio and Paramount Pictures have real value. If we're going to say BET has real value, then you can argue that all those cable networks have real value, and that doesn't really appear to be the case. I mean, I get that there was people willing to pay a couple billion dollars for BET. Yeah, BET BET is a little more special than like VH1. I think it has an audience, it has a brand, it has a niche. I don't think you could say the same really for VH1. But that but let's not well, get into Yeah, that. but why are you comparing it to VH1? VH1 is like the seventh most important cable asset they have. It's not we're talking about Comedy Central, MTV, Nickelodeon. I just don't think those brands mean much anymore in a streaming world whereas BET does kind of mean something still, but I don't know that BET means any more than Nickelodeon does at this point. But setting that aside, I think there's real value in the company. It's just not clear how they plan to unlock it. You know, they made some news last week where they basically ad adjusted their contracts with some of the, the top executives, giving them great kind of uh, uh, determining what they would be paid in the event of a change of control should there be a sale. And some people interpreted this that they have a buyer lined up. That buyer has not appeared over the last little bit. We know of some folks who've, who've looked at it, who've circled. But there has been no formal process. There have been no extensive conversations. The closest they've really gotten is they had these two deals earlier this year where they could have sold BET and they could have sold Showtime and they sold to sell neither one of them. Well, they just sold Bellator, the MMA group, but that's a very small sale. And they did just sell Simon & Schuster, the book publisher. And that was a sale that was initially blocked by the Justice Department 
because it was going to go to a rival. And now they found private equity to take it off their hands. So they are kind of skinnying down this company. I think a lot of people believe they would probably have to skinny it down more if they were going to do a formal sale process, similar to what Time Warner did before it sold. But the big thing looming out there is that there are two potential merger partners that when you talk about the battle for scale and the streaming wars and the consolidation in the industry, most people think that one of two companies, Comcast or Warner Brothers Discovery, or potentially both of them, might try to merge with Paramount Global, take over the streaming service and the customers there, merge the studio into its studios, and try to bulk up for this next wave of entertainment in the streaming wars. Which of those two do you think seems more likely or do neither make sense? I would go with neither, I guess. <laughs> um, I think, look, it's possible. I think you can make the case. We'll say what you're going to say, but I'll, I'll make the case. Let's start with Comcast. Comcast, I think, makes the least sense because for the, the simple reason that Brian Roberts has a pretty healthy balance sheet and can do a lot of different deals. And if he can do a lot of different deals... Why is he picking Paramount? Is that the most meaningful asset? Is that the one that really changes the fortunes of his media business? Other than gaining another football window and another studio, I'm not sure that it well, does. Well, you, you go from an also ran in streaming to probably the number three streamer after Netflix and the combined Disney Plus and Hulu. No, they're way. They'd still be way smaller than Amazon. They'd still well. You combine. Assuming anyone watches content on Amazon, we don't know. Well, we know they do because we get regular results from Nielsen and Paramount Plus plus Peacock would still be considerably smaller than Amazon. Mm, Amazon has shows that chart every once in a while. Right, no, no, but you're talking about the top 10. I'm just talking about overall consumption. Amazon is currently, because of football and other things, Amazon makes up almost 4% of, of TV viewing in the US some months. Peacock and Paramount Plus are both around one. But whether or not it makes sense, the odds of the US government allowing one company to own both the NBC broadcast network and the CBS broadcast network. Comcast owns NBC, Paramount owns CBS, very low. So I think yeah, that have deal, to change the rules. while possible, is almost very, very, very unlikely. Right. And then you get into a scenario where, you know, they divest CBS, but then what is the value and what's the synergies? That's a tough situation. I agree with you. To me, the, the Warner Discovery thing makes a little bit more sense just because at some point, they've been offloading so much debt and trying to increase their free cash flow. And at some point when this reverse Morris Trust, they have a limitation on whether they can merge with another company, that ends in April. And I think the whole goal from the beginning has been to find an out or find a way to scale up or merge out of Warner Brothers Discovery once they are able to do so in mid-2024. And if Paramount is available and they can get it for a price, maybe that's the answer to Warner Discovery. I mean, John Malone, who who is a, a large shareholder in Warner Brothers Discovery and sort of David Zaslav, the CEO's rabbi, has said that he thinks it would be difficult to get that deal through in the current regulatory climate as well, and basically hinted that the only way he thought that could happen was if Paramount went bankrupt. Right. Um, <laughs> or a company went bankrupt. He didn't say specifically Paramount. No, the cable carriage fees will keep it afloat for the foreseeable future. And I, th I do think the regulatory climate in an election year is going to be difficult. But next November, who knows who's in that chair? And perhaps it's a little bit more friendly 
We know that Donald Trump is friendly with Sherry Redstone. So maybe he nudges that along if that's her wishes. I just don't know, you know, for tax purposes, when a company like Paramount Global is sold, similar to when Fox sold most of its assets to Disney, there's a huge tax consequence if you don't take a lot of that sale in equity in the company that's buying you. So I just wonder if Sherry Redstone is going to want to trade her family fortune, her family business for stock in Warner Brothers Discovery? Like, that's a lot different than Disney. Well, that's sort of the big question here, right? Is does Sherry really want to sell? Well, no, she clearly doesn't. I mean, she gets up at conferences with investors and is like crying about how this is her father's company and this is her legacy and how much she loves it. I mean, I've talked to many people who speak with her regularly who say that all things considered, she would love to keep this company. But at some point, that may not be an option if she wants to get anything out of this. I mean, Warren Buffett does not make the investment that he has made in her company if he thinks it's just going to chug along and milk the carriage fees. He thinks or someone in his office thinks a sale is coming up. Yeah, I mean, the Warren Buffett investment is a little bit of a mystery, I have to say. <laughs> because it, I, I do think it's to your point that he clearly thinks that there will be a deal down the line. But he has put in a lot of money into that company and has just been sitting on it, watching it go down in value. And you started off by making the key point, which is th that I think was a, a, a key criticism of the not, the decisions not to sell Showtime and BET, which is that they're holding on to these assets that are only decreasing in value. And there's also real risk. I mean, you brought up Paramount Pictures. That's one thing that has real value. But you sell that. What are you going to do with the rest of the company? Who's going to buy a bunch of those cable networks? That's not well, so you'd clear. have to orchestrate something where you, you know, similar to what Disney did when they bought Fox and then orchestrated the sale of the regional sports networks because they couldn't own them, you'd have to find some buyer. And there, like I've said on the show before, cable networks are the new newspapers. There's going to be some vulture private equity firm out there that will take over the Paramount cable networks and just let them sit there and generate money for a few years, not invest in them, and just let it die. Like There's someone who's done an algorithmic formula that tells them it makes sense to do that. So I do think that you could find some buyer for it. The question is, is a private equity buyer going to be interested in all of Paramount? Could we see a KKR or one of these other big private equity firms take a look at Paramount and say, let's buy the whole thing. And then maybe we sell off assets one by one. Maybe we keep the studio. Maybe we merge that into Netflix. Like there's a whole bunch of deals that could be done. I mean, it would be, it would be a very, very big check. What, 30 billion, 40 billion? Well, because, you know, the, the equity value of Paramount right now, I think, is, is, is you know, eight or nine, ten, whatever. You usually have it's to like pay 9. a It's like 9.5. The stock's gone up a little bit. Yeah. You usually have to pay a little bit of a premium, although not necessarily in some private equity situation. And there's all the debt. The company's got like $15 billion in debt. Yep. So, yeah, I think you're, you're talking about a $30 billion check at a minimum. Well, and there's an, there's an analyst at Wells Fargo, uh, Cahill, who says that the studios alone are worth $30 billion. That's a big number. I don't know that they could get 30. <laughs> then again, if Amazon was willing to pay $8 billion for MGM, granted, different times, you wouldn't trade at the same multiples. But Paramount's obviously considerably more valuable than that. I think there was a point in time at, at which other people would have paid 10, 12, maybe even 15. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown as the beloved series bids farewell. 
Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. You bring up this whole idea of the different assets because I think if you really look at it, even though it has 63 million subscribers at this point, Paramount Plus probably could be either sold or shut down. And you take these studios of Paramount and you merge them with some other studio or Netflix or one of the others. And you either bolster an existing streaming service or you create a Sony Pictures style, pure content producer, franchise driven seller of content that will help fuel the other streaming services for the foreseeable future. Who would buy it in your estimation? Well, I, I wrote an item in my Puck newsletter this weekend about David Ellison, who has Skydance Media and is obviously the son of Larry Ellison, who's worth $150 billion. And he has some big blue chip investors in his company, KKR being one of them. Redbird, the private equity firm, is another. He could raise money and use some family money and go after Paramount. He's already in business with Paramount on Mission Impossible, on Top Gun, on Jack Reacher. And David Ellison becomes the new proprietor of a slimmed down, pure content producer, Paramount slash Skydance. And then everything else gets sold on. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Your I'd silence heard, is I, deafening. You don't believe that's happening. I, like you, had heard that Ellison was interested, but had also been told by people close to him that that they'd sort of talked him out of doing any deal. I mean, I think, one, that'd be a really big check for him. You know, Skydance is considerably smaller than, than Paramount. He obviously has access to it between his dad and his relationship. Yeah, that's the only differentiator for him is that he's a rich guy. Like, he could do it if he really, really but wanted But I don't know to. what he wants, to your point, with all those cable networks. So he would have to arrange it in a way where he could sell off a bunch of the assets he didn't want. And if he were going to do that, I don't know why a couple of other folks then wouldn't step in that might want that studio as well. Because if you're David Ellison, you probably don't. I mean, maybe he wants to operate CBS for football, but probably not. I don't know that he wants to operate his own streaming service. He similarly is probably most interested in the studio, which companies like Netflix have tried to buy in the past with limited success. So it would have to be a very complex deal unless he, he really does want to run this, this more diversified media company. 
Yeah, I think the equation has changed since Netflix was trying to buy just the studio. It's five, seven years later. Sherry Redstone is in a much more precarious position. She's got all these family members that would very much like a big check coming to them. And even though she would like to continue on as being this mogul who gets invited to Sun Valley every year, I think at some point she's got to recognize that she has a responsibility to her family to maximize the value here. And maybe someone like Ellison or another, I mean, this could apply to any private equity group or frankly, any current studio. It's got to come to the recognition that maybe selling off this studio and using whatever buyer you can find to then dispose of the other assets might make the most sense. Yeah. You raise a question with the family and what money they need or don't need. Because if you remember with the with this company, it's controlled by essentially a movie theater chain. That's how the family... National Amusements, yes. But that's also like the family holding company. Yes. But National Amusements, because of the theater chain and because of some some things that Sherry's father Sumner did, has debt and is also sort of a challenged business. Very challenged. They had to get $150 million infusion from Michael Dell earlier this year. And so I think the real sword hanging over all of this is, is there a point at which she has to do a deal? Because it, it still doesn't seem like for all that she, Sherry says that she wants to do a deal. But is there a, a point at which she has to? And, and, and if you have to, then you may have to take a deal you don't want to do. Yeah, apparently the family is sort of not involved except for one son and not the one who is out partying with Sumner Redstone at nightclubs. Like there's another son who I believe is a rabbi who apparently is very involved and is like knowledgeable about this stuff. And then she has her advisors. She's got R.A. Burkhoff, her banker. She's got Bob Backish, her CEO. And she's got various lawyers and advisors that are in her ear. And I'm sure they are saying that at some point it makes sense to do a deal, which is probably what led to this recent change in the golden parachutes to contemplate some kind of deal in the next two years. Doesn't mean they necessarily have a deal lined up. It just means that many people in the building probably recognize this is the path. The other problem she's got is that the stock is just so down. I mean, if it's at like $14 a share now, I've heard she wants the stock to be above 30 if she is going to do something. And that's unconfirmed, but that's kind of what I've heard. Good luck with that. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, good luck with that. I mean, obviously, if there were sale murmurs, the stock would probably start going up. Somebody might come in and say, okay, yeah, well, if but I then you, leave, you don't really this. get the premium on top of true, the true. sale talk pop. They could really use the recovery of the advertising business because that's what's weighing so much on, I mean, setting aside the issues with cable networks and cord cutting. Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount have really suffered from the decline in the TV advertising business. And it's not clear if it's coming back. Well, that's the thing. Is this the cycle where it doesn't come back and it is just permanently sucked up by Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook. Right. And important to her, how quickly does that happen? Are we looking at sort of a, I don't know, a 3% decline or something? Or are we looking at 10% a year? That's Those are two dramatically different yeah. scenarios. I mean, they do have football. And that's something that will, at least for the foreseeable future, generate advertising. But I mean, what suckers are putting their ads on VH1 these days? I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, are, what do you it, have against VH1? Nothing what did against they ever VH1, do to you? you? Know, MTV, all of it. <laughs> like all those 
all the cable channels, like what kind of audience are you getting on those cable channels? I don't know. You think that BET is the second coming of media. So. I, I think BET has a brand. I think that it could survive in a streaming universe, either as a standalone or as a button on another streaming service. And it does benefit there. You know, this is this came up in the sale talk. They wanted three billion for BET because there are advertising earmarks that go to minority owned businesses and Paramount Global does not get those earmarks because they are not a minority owned business. And if, say, Tyler Perry or Byron Allen were to buy BET, he would get those earmarks. And that could be a, a difference maker. So I just think the brand is somewhat solvent. Whereas, you know, what is the MTV brand? It's been so destroyed. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, Craig, we've done this before. Craig, does MTV mean anything to you? Yeah, it does not. <laughs> it's maybe an ironic t-shirt with the logo. Yeah, sure. I mean, I obviously understand how important it was, but currently it means nothing. Right. So, Lucas, I'm going to make you do this. Two years, where is Paramount? Well, two years from now, they will definitely have sold something else because they have consistently jettisoned things that they deemed non-core. They're sort of running out of non-core things, but I think in a couple of years, they'll have to bite the bullet and sell one of those assets that, that they thought about selling this year, if not the whole thing. I think there will be some big deal. I just don't know if it's going to be a piece or the whole. So what is there that's left in the living room? What furniture is left that they could burn they for can, They can reconsider the BET sale if they realize that that okay. was a mistake. So Tyler Perry comes back and says, I wouldn't pay $3 billion, but I'll pay $2 billion. And they say, okay. He'd probably come back and say, I offered you 2 3 Now here's, here's one nine. Take right. Leave it. Yeah, my, my prediction for the fall surprise did not come true, unfortunately. Being that he would come back and do it? I thought Tyler Perry would come back and that there would be some kind of a deal at a lower price. Uh, but it hasn't happened yet. Maybe there's still a, a few days left to fall. It's hard for me to predict on the whole company, basically with the election next year, plus the uncertainty around WBD. Yeah, it's sort of all these companies, their fates are intertwined. Because if Warner Discovery is also in the shitter, it changes the calculus on whether they're more vulnerable to a takeover by Comcast or whether they're a buyer or a seller. The Zaslov question and whether he would run all these assets if they did merge them. Don't know that Sherry would particularly love that, but they are friends, so maybe she would like it. I don't know. What's your prediction? I think in two to three years, there will be a sale of all or most of the assets. You just gave yourself another year. Yeah, okay. But the writing's <laughs> on the wall. At some point, Sherry will have to look herself in the mirror and say she did a great job with what she was given. She saved the company from potentially being turned over to Sumner Redstone's shyster girlfriends. And now she can feel good about giving her family members some billion-dollar checks, and she'll forever be on whatever board she wants and get to go to Patriot Games forever, and that's it. I think you're probably right. All right, we're back with the call sheet and a very special call sheet. We've asked Lucas to stay on. We've got producer Craig here and we are revisiting our draft picks, our box office draft. We are heading into the final stages of the 2023 box office draft contest. If you have not been following along in January, actually, no, I think it was like February. Lucas and I picked five movies each and then we gave each other a sixth movie. So each of us has six movies and you get to take the box office gross worldwide, but you also 
have to take the budget. So it's minus the budget for the movie to incentivize picking, you know, not just the biggest budgeted movies. And we are now almost to the end. I had my final movie premiere last weekend. Wish did not do great. But Craig, please give us an update on who is winning the box office draft. So a quick rundown of everyone's team. So Lucas drafted Super Mario Brothers movie, Mission Impossible, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, which is yet to come out, The Flash, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and then Matt dumped The Hunger Games onto Lucas. Matt's team, he started out with The Little Mermaid, Guardians 3, Fast 10, Barbie, Wish, and then Lucas dumped, unfortunately for Lucas, Oppenheimer onto <laughs> Matt. Not predicting the Barbenheimer wave would be such a force. Uh, I, I will forever be grateful. So far, again, this is not including Aquaman, which Lucas still has coming. And this is not including Wish and Hunger Games because they're not done yet. Right now, as it sits, Matt has about $3.3 billion in profit and Lucas has about $2.1 billion. So Lucas essentially, Wish is not going to outperform Hunger Games. So if you factor in a slight win for Hunger Games for Lucas, Aquaman needs around a billion to make in profit, so it needs in to profit. hit one two in <laughs> wait. It needs to hit one two. Oh, by the way, yeah. that movie in, in did profit, not cost yeah. two hundred. That movie cost more than two hundred million. It's but listed at two hundred, but whatever. Okay. D look, you're welcome for Oppenheimer. <laughs> Had I not been stupid enough to give you Oppenheimer, I would be in pretty good shape. I don't know that I would win, but we'd be re we'd be neck and neck even with a crappy Aquaman performance. But me betting against Chris Nolan was the single stupidest thing I've done all year. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not looking great with Hunger Games either. It's doing pretty well and it only has a hundred million dollar budget. But considering Nolan made Oppenheimer for about a hundred, hundred and twenty, and you knew it was going to do three, four, five hundred million at the I mean, no one knew it was going to get to like nine hundred million dollars. It's your second highest grossing movie. It beat Guardians, <laughs> Fast, Mermaid. The, our budget picks were the big winners, right? So, Mario, Spider Verse, and thanks to you, Hunger Games are all going to be pretty profitable for me. And That's true. And Barbie is just like Barbie and Oppenheimer, world. which are your only two movies under $200 million are your best performers by a mile. So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of shit the bed on Fast and Furious just because it's got a budget over 300 million. And then, you know, Guardians ended up doing pretty well for me. Little Mermaid disappointment, though. Like that movie Wish and Mermaid were your were your worst picks, and Flash and Aquaman were mine. And Mission underperforming was basically Mermaid for me. But that was my number one pick. Uh, a friend at Disney advised me that oh, Little Mermaid's going to be huge. You don't understand. It's Lion King, but with oh, better wow. music. Oh, wow. A little insider trading. Okay. Well, uh, we were allowed to use use whatever <laughs> means we wanted well, to, right? And also I gave they were you wrong. Oppenheimer in part because people I spoke to at Universal were very nervous about it. Exactly. <laughs> like, we had inside information. It, it just shows you that nobody knows what the fuck is going to happen. <laughs> I mean, we still had on our respective teams the eight biggest movies of the year but you had you have four of the top five which makes a little bit of a difference yeah i mean we both smartly steered clear of indiana jones i think we could yep. smell that one from a mile away we avoided transformers yes um and then there was another one that i thought about picking that i did not and i'm forgetting what it is uh oh the marvels we both avoided that I yeah, I wasn't touching that one. The one that I think if I'd taken John Wick four instead of the Flash mm. and like maybe Meg two. Well, don't crap on your own movie because if I were you, I'd be holding out hope that Aquaman two is Lucas break will be all first records. in line. 
<laughs> you will. <laughs> the sad You're part out. is, I, I'm not going to go to see it to support myself. You're not. That's how little interest I have in it. <laughs> I know. The trailer looks really terrible. And like, just the fact that the whole DC narrative from this year has been a disaster and they just want this movie to be come out and go away as fast as possible. Um, that's why it would be hilarious if it becomes the greatest movie of all time and grosses $2 billion and you win this. It's like in fantasy when you go into Monday Night Football and you've got like a 98% chance of losing and then all of a sudden the Chargers defense scores 28 points and you win, which actually happened to me this season. That could be you. All right. On that note, that's the show for today. I want to thank my guests, Lucas Shaw, producer Craig Horbeck, our editor, Jesse Lopez, and I want to thank you. We'll see you later this week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.